0: Grace, mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As we approach Thanksgiving 2022, I'd like you to consider just why we are great are thankful. There have been some recent changes in our own congregation here that perhaps cause us to reflect upon our many blessings. First of all, we are thankful for having Pastor Rob faithfully serving us for these past 21 years. We are also thankful for the recent congregational vote for calling potentially a new pastor, Pastor Kreitzer, who hopefully may well write the next chapter of Peace Lutheran's History. In the meantime, we are also blessed to have a homegrown pastor from our own deacon ranks, Pastor Mike. And he's here to step into that gap as Pastor Rob moves out and moves on, and as we await word from our next pastor. Dan, we even have a deacon or two to throw in there in a pinch, you know. so we're really in pretty decent shape as a church, In the, at least in the near term, we'll be able to maintain some continuity in worship and ministry. But we always have that important caveat that we are waiting on God's timing to set everything into place. But then there are other things, things that maybe we aren't, too thankful about. When you look at the world today, what do you see? I mean, there's there's evidence of uncertainty everywhere you look. You've got inflation that's threatening the average household with unsustainable price hikes. Affordable housing becomes less affordable every single day, and so we have people moving away from the area for a better standard of living, a better chance for themselves, and still there are others that move into the ranks of the homeless. And at the same time, there are thousands upon thousands of people seeking entry into our country to escape poverty, crime, and corruption. And then you look across the world, there are wars, active wars going on. In Iran today, women are being terrorized for merely stating their opinions to an oppressive regime. So what do we do with all these conflicting visions of hope and despair? How do we look at the world and find the good that is there? Well, Paul gets right to the point in his summation found in Philippians chapter four, he right away tries to set our minds at ease when he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it seems that Paul never really dwells on the negative. Instead, he uses the difficult circumstances that he's been living through as a springboard to express his abiding hope in his Redeemer. Now he doesn't whitewash his troubles, although in this particular passage we read this evening, he kind of glosses over them a little bit as he writes, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Well, that's kind of soft. It sure doesn't sound like Paul is writing this letter that we just listen to from a Roman prison, does it? Now, elsewhere he opens up a little bit more. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he, he was a little more forthcoming about how things were in his world as he reminds his former congregation that five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now, in case you weren't aware, that phrase, 40 less 1, that was the maximum number of whip strokes that the average person had a chance to survive. And it doesn't get any better as he continues. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So that's Paul's world. And that's the everything that he mentions when he gives that emphatic charge in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. See, Paul took all the difficult things in his life, laid them before his Lord, and then gave thanks for the grace and provision God had in store for all of his saints. And What did Paul do in the face of all this turmoil with his life constantly in danger and his people struggling under Roman and Jewish oppression? Well, for one thing, he used his captivity as an opportunity to teach and convert his Roman jailers. And they took his teachings into the very heart of the royal palace. He even makes a reference to this fact in the closing lines of this letter that we read this evening, just after where we left off. He writes this, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wow. His witness set off a chain of events that many, many decades later, ended up with a Caesar converting to Christianity and ending the suppression of those who were known as the way. Now, in his final words to the church at Philippi, Paul gave them advice to live and thrive by as he wrote this, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I started to think about this, and it's like the ultimate Sunday school answer, right? The answer to all of these things, and behind everything, is Jesus. Yeah, I heard somebody scoffing out there. So here we go. You start with whatever is true. Well, you remember that Jesus told his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Matthew 14. How about whatever is honorable? You know, when you think about it, his way was the most honorable in that he delivered justice justice enough to satisfy the dictates of the law for all people. And in the process, paying the penalty for our sins, while, of course, he was without any sin of his own. And you talk about pure. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system was predicated upon purity, the For instance, the Passover lamb was to be without defect. And there you have Christ standing before Pilate as the ultimate innocent man, the Lamb of God, totally without sin. And he did it because only a pure sacrifice would atone for the sins of the people. Now, the next bit, loveliness, that's a little tougher to get to because Isaiah wrote, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So that's a tough nut, isn't it? But this is where the concept of how you see things comes into play. I mean, what is possibly lovelier than having one's sins lifted, washed away? taken as far as the east is from the west. Those who don't appreciate their own sinfulness can't see just how lovely this act of redemption is. But as when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, some of the Jews who witnessed the same miraculous event they're talking about, they saw it much differently. And they went and told the Pharisees what they had seen and gave the high council more evidence that Jesus was becoming just too dangerous so that they had to put him to death to get rid of him. But then again, turn to Isaiah where he says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. That's Isaiah 52. You see, Jesus is the bearer and the author of the best good news you could ever receive. Now that's beauty incarnate. Going on, we look to what is commendable. Once again, it's easy to see that the Messiah is commended not only by every Old Testament prophet. He was commended by John the Baptist. And, you know, he was even commended by men possessed by demons. Oh, he was also commended by God the Father, who said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, I dropped the mic here, but it's stuck behind my ear, so you know, let's just keep going. Any excellence? Listen to the writer from Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It's Hebrews chapter 1. Finally, we get to what is worthy of praise. The, thing, the single book where the word praise is found more often is the book of Psalms. Now, the Hebrews had a different name for the book of Psalms. They call it Tehillah, which means praise, as in the singing of hymns. So they consider the Psalms to be a whole book of praises. And the word Tehillah is is derived from Hillel, from which we get the transliterated word, Hallelujah. Sound familiar? Praise be to God is what that means. Now the structure of the Psalms is interesting. The the, the whole pattern of it is laid out in the first three Psalms. Psalm one introduces the first messianic theme in a discussion about the new Adam, the righteous man with his hopes as he explores the contrast between good and evil. That's Psalm 1. Psalm 2 brings in the Anointed One, the Messiah, as it depicts the Trinity holding a discussion about the one who will be on the throne as this contrast we saw between good and evil blooms into full-blown conflict. That's Psalm 2. Then Psalm 3 brings the idea of the suffering servant into place. And it also is the first mention in the Psalms of salvation, salvation that only comes from the Lord. And so we have a book of praise fashioned after the ark that Jesus takes for us, becoming a man, and then bringing in the kingdom at an unfathomable personal cost. As I said, it's all Jesus. Paul's basic idea here is that we are given an opportunity to live every single day of our lives in thankful anticipation of our promised reunion with Jesus at the resurrection. And he gives us this template to view the world in a positive way. So we're given these tools to seek out and embrace these opportunities to see things God's way and to share that vision with others. See, I chose that, that sermon hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, for, as a way to connect with the Apostle Paul and his mindset as, as he wrote to the Philippian church. And Paul concludes his section of this letter to his struggling church with a doxology and a promise that still stands today. He wrote, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen on this Thanksgiving Eve, and on every day going forward, thanks be to God. Amen.